you know, one of my favorite uh, weekends of the year here is in the fall where uh, we invite the second graders to come up here, often only for the second time in their lives after their baptism, to come up and receive a Bible from us. The church generously offers them a Bible when they go into second grade. And two things happen in my week that that happens. Three, if you count the fact that I love to shake their little hands. The first is that uh, for much of the week before, I am signing 140 plus Bibles. And then underlining a couple of different verses in that Bible with a note to try to make it personal for them. The second is that on Thursday night, Sarah, our children's director, gathers all the kids and all the parents together because many of the parents do not know how to teach their kids how to read the Bible. They just have never learned themselves. So she uses that as an evening where they can explore this new gift together. And she goes through the evening asking different people on the staff to say, what's the most significant verse in the Bible for you? And when it comes my time, I ask them to take out their Bibles and turn to the first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Why don't you take out your Bibles and turn to the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. It's a city in Greece, a a very important trade city. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right toward the end of that first letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I ask them to raise their hands when they find 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So when you find 1 Corinthians 15, raise your hands. Okay, okay. My friends are a little slower, but that makes all the sense in the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And when they've all gotten to it, I read my favorite passage. It starts out in verse 9. Saying, I'm the least of all the apostles. I don't even deserve to be a leader in the church because I persecuted the people of God. Remember, this is Saul, the persecutor of the early church's story. He killed the first martyr, Stephen. Then my favorite verse, verse 10. Would you take out a pen or a pencil, and if it's not already underlined, would you underline 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. It says this. In my translation, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me has not been without effect. That's my verse. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace has not been without effect. Paul says, no, I worked harder than anybody else. No, it wasn't really me. I didn't work harder. It was God's grace in me. And I tell the kids, that's the first verse that I could ever remember trying to memorize because it was as if God was speaking to me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then I ask him to talk for a minute. What does grace mean? Rich was trying to explain that to the children today. Philip Yancey, in a phenomenal book, I would, if you have not read this book, I would highly recommend it to you. It's called What's So Amazing About Grace? And he quotes the poet Byron saying, Grace is the last unspoiled word in the English language. Grace is something good that we get that we do not deserve. Something good that we receive that we do not reserve. We don't deserve grace, we just get it. We don't define it, we have to experience it. 
By the grace of God, I am what I am. Where do you experience grace? In in his book, Yancey tells the story of a young prostitute on the streets of his native Chicago who ended up there because she came from a terrible family and after promiscuity fell into prostitution, after prostitution became a drug addict, after becoming a drug addict accidentally got pregnant, after becoming accidentally pregnant, she continued to live on the streets and eight or ten years later became so desperate that she not only was selling her body, she began to sell her child's body as well. And out of the depths of human life, she said, I cannot do this to another human being. And and in despair, she goes to one of the missions in Chicago and, and receives food and medicine and at least some vocational counseling, but turns to the leader of the of the mission and said, what can I do? I know I'm going to screw up again. This is the seventh time I've been here. What am I going to do? And the man saying, I, I, I don't usually say this, but what, what would you think about going to church? Would that help? The woman said, church? Why would I go to church? I feel bad enough already. Why would I go to church? Yancey said the young prostitute's comment hurt because she found the weak spot in the church. Some of us seem so anxious to avoid going to hell that we forget to celebrate our journey to heaven. Other ones of us, not you, other ones of us are rightly concerned about the great moral issues of our day, take sides in the cultural war all around us, but we neglect the church's mission as a haven of grace in a world of pain. A haven of grace in a world of pain. So again... Do you experience grace? Um, I used to say that I grew up in a dysfunctional home. Uh, Rich has taught me that every home in America is dysfunctional, just in different ways. Mine, perhaps, was just a little bit more visibly dysfunctional in between, uh, between the alcohol abuse and the, uh, the incessant fighting and the uncertainty economically, I started to think that I, uh, I could only be loved as long as I did whatever it took to be loved. For my mother, that meant I should at least appear to work harder at school. She valued academics, so I had to appear to be smart. For my father, it was all about athletics and sports, and so I would run out and play with the kids for hours. But when I got to my friends, I knew that they didn't care either about sports or school, and so I didn't either. They wanted to be wild, and I thought maybe if I walked like that, they would think that I was cool enough to be loved. By the end of high school, beginning of college, I had made a pretty good start at that. I had uh, really totally drifted away from the church of my childhood, because at that church, I'd hear people say that I was a sinner that I had done bad things all week, and I already knew that. You know, I was convinced, like them, that God was mad at me. They had categories that said I was going to limbo if I got lucky, purgatory if I didn't change, hellbound for sure. So I, I didn't just leave Catholicism. I didn't just leave Christianity. I, I tried to leave that angry God behind. Then at the end of high school, beginning of college, I saw this cute little girl and tried to impress her 
by hanging out with her friends who were at a Christian group, and they did not appear very Christian. For one thing, they were having way too much fun. And for another thing, they didn't seem to be impressed with people who were the smartest or the wildest. They just cared about people. They accepted me and, and brought me in. And the leader started to talk about God in a way that did not just talk about judgment and doing the right thing, but was much more about Jesus as God. And the Jesus God was a God who spent most of his time with people that felt like me. Whether they acted like me or not, they felt on the outside struggling to get in. And, uh, and said that the reason they call it the good news is that God wanted to love me the way that he loved them. And I didn't have to prove myself because I could not. I'd already proved that I was a screw-up. But God wanted to forgive me and love me and let me be his child. Do you, do you want that? And I, I let that sit for months. I checked out Christianity intellectually again, you know, that pseudo-intellectual thing you get in college. I, I spent time watching my friends, and they told me the story of the prodigal son. The Rembrandt exhibit doesn't have this because it's way too famous to be down at the, the Minnesota Institute. But this is Rembrandt's picture of the prodigal son. And then they said, this is what God is like. The best line in the New Testament says, and when he came to his senses, he said, I want to go home. And a far away off, his father saw him and ran and hugged him and put his arm around him. And when they told me this story, they said, that's you. Do you want to be loved like that? So, one night uh, in Chicago on a skating rink, I was a skating guard uh, on a skating rink. After it closed, I was hosing down the, the rink and uh, I went out on the pond and I said, uh, God... I'm not positive, but I, I sense that you're here. God, I need to know that no matter what I do, you'll, you'll love me. I'm sorry for all the stuff I've done and that I know I'm going to do again. Because I'm tired of trying to measure up so people will love me. God, will you still love me anyway? And God's love... And God's grace are the reason that I am here. You know, too often, people outside the faith look at Christians and say, it's, it's about what you believe. You guys have a checklist of all the things that you believe and can't believe. Or Christians are the people who don't believe, they're the people who behave. Do this, don't do that, do lots of the other thing. I don't think Christians are the people who believe or behave first. I think Christians are the one who say, you know, I heard God tell me I love you. I forgive you. Can I put my love so deep inside you that you will always believe that I still love you? It's a free gift. It's the gift that Rich opened for the kids. You can't earn it. You can't try harder, jump higher. I sent my son Jesus to show you what real love looks like. That's grace. That's what the core of becoming a Christian is, to turn to God and say, I love you too. Will you keep loving with me? It's a relationship. And it's not like I have good days and bad days. I have terrible days. 
But that's not throwing me any farther from God. So anyway, I, I, I get to college, went out and bought a Bible. Uh, and uh, in this first Bible, I came to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it was like God was saying, you are exactly who you are. You don't have to pretend anymore. I am what I am. You don't have to be anybody else to be loved. That's the reason they call it good news. And so I, like we talked about, I I underlined it. It became my uh, life verse. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me has not been without effect. That's when we usually talk about life verses. But that, that's not it for me. That's, that's just the beginning of the story. Because I don't know about you, when you receive grace, you want to become a better person, right? I want to become the person I think God loves. And as I start to get better, I look around and say, you know, you should get better too. Then it becomes about better and better and good and better. And we seem to forget the grace because we think about being better. And you forget that you will be a broken, flawed, sin-filled person until after you take your first, last breath, just like me. This church that offers grace becomes the do-better, try-harder place, look better. And you know what we become like? We go back to that picture of the prodigal son up there. And in In the background of the prodigal son, you can see in the shadows the older brother. Who is not at all crazy about what's going on. Because his lousy, stinking, sin-filled son is all of a sudden the center of attention. And they're all yelling and cheering and having a feast for him. He goes, wait a minute. I've been good. And he's angry. Churches are not known for being grace-filled people. We become do-good, try-hard people. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. How many of you ever have a hard time getting to sleep? Anybody here ever have a hard time? I I, I lie there often. And sometimes at night, I I lie there and I uh, I think about the Apostle Paul. The way his life changed and he goes around the Roman Empire. Everywhere he goes, he gets in trouble, gets thrown in prison. I said, I wonder if he ever had trouble getting to sleep. I bet he did. Because I bet the Apostle Paul had nightmares. You can't live the way he lived and not have nightmares. I bet, I bet one of the Apostle Paul's nightmares, far away from home, was about seeing a young man say, Jesus is the Messiah, and people started to throw rocks at him. No, Jesus loves you, and people threw more rocks at him. And finally, the man falls down, and they throw rocks harder and harder and harder and harder, and they kill him. And Paul is right there holding people's coats, saying, get him again. And I bet he tosses and turns, and he thinks about, uh, he thinks about little girls who have seen their mom ripped out of their arms, and... Little boys who will never know their father because Saul went into their house and said, I'll show you who the Messiah is. And rips him apart. And he he twitches like that. 
Oh, God. Because he would always be known the rest of his life like that. It's a nightmare. You, you know, I have nightmares too. Maybe you do. But mine is just mine. I'm here preaching, and it's not one of those, you're all of a sudden you're naked in front of everybody and you don't know what to say. For me, that's bad enough. That's your nightmare. Um, no, for me, the nightmare is I am here preaching, and uh, halfway through, I am talking about how God wants you to turn from darkness to light, to come not just to grace, but to grow up and live the kind of life you're supposed to have, to live pure in singleness, to be faithful in marriage, to be generous. And what happens is that the back door opens and a woman comes in and sits down there and another woman sits there and another woman sits there and another woman sits right over there and they just sit there looking at me and I have a hard time finishing the sentence because I I know these women. And these women know another side of me. From before, I followed Christ. Some of them, after I started to follow Christ, and I... I did not love them. I made love to myself through them. And my wife, whom I love more than anything, sits there. And then, and then I see, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me has not been without effect. And I wake up and I realize that I need to be reminded of grace again and again and again, over and over, until it sinks in so deep that it starts to ooze out. And his grace to me has not been without effect. Grace should change your game. But that's because it changes the scorecard. You don't keep score anymore. His grace has not been without effect. It was his grace working through me. For the rest of his life... Paul would go around saying, you're broken, and I know it because I'm more broken. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and I am a sign that God's grace can change us all. God's grace either changes your life or it's not grace. It's what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. I feel bad, too bad. You feel bad, I'm sorry, here's grace. That's cheap grace, just words. Real grace is the gift that you open from heaven. Sometimes you find examples of that in the oddest places. Uh, with, uh, with apologies to Frank Sinatra, probably he is not the most famous singer in the world. The most famous singer in the world is uh, almost certainly from Northern Ireland. The head of a group called U2, his name is Bono. And he has had, for the last 20 years, a great passion for the poor of the earth. And in helping, especially with the debt crisis and with AIDS, he has come to the church and found the church resistant to helping him at first. And so he said, I find the church just so filled of judgmental people. I don't know what to do with the church. And then his attitude started to change. Let me show you 90 seconds. I'm pretty sure... pretty sure that, uh, you know, the universe operates by the laws of, of karma, essentially. 
and all physical laws do. And, um, you know, what you put out comes back against you, you know. Then enters the story of grace, which really uh, is the story of Christ and which turned this, this view of the universe upside down. And it's completely counterintuitive. Um, I mean, very, very hard for human beings to grasp grace. We can actually grasp atonement, revenge, fairness, all of this we can grasp. But we don't grasp grace very well. I'm much more interested in grace because I'm really depending on it. (laughs) Desperately needed. Yeah, if I'm living by karma, I'm in big trouble. One of his most famous songs is Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He is, he is a terrible example of a Christian. He's a perfect example of grace. You and I together are terrible examples of Christians. But we can be perfect examples of grace. We don't apologize here for talking about sin. We want to call people to love the holy, and to live lives that fulfill them and follow God's word. But what's unique about Jesus Christ is that we believe that God came for you and me and he did not say, change and I'll love you. He said, I will love you forever. Would you like to learn to love people that way? One of my favorite authors is Annie Lamott out in San Francisco. She goes to a Presbyterian church, St. Andrews, uh, her... uh, Pastor is a large African-American woman whom I've had the privilege of meeting. And, and one time, this pastor said, you know what church is all about? Church is the place where grace makes people know who they really are. Grace makes people know who they really are. The pastor tells a story one time of uh, when she was seven, growing up in Oakland, One of her best friends wanders away, just got lost the way seven-year-olds do, and her parents were frantic. The streets of Oakland are a terrible place. Everybody's out looking for her. The kid just kept turning the wrong way, further and further away. Hours later, a police car stops him, and he starts to run because he's so afraid, and the policeman catches him, and he starts to cry. And and the, the policeman says, you're lost. He says, yes. Can we get you home? I don't know where home is. Well, what's your address? I don't remember. The policeman puts him in the passenger seat of the car and they just start driving up and down the streets. And uh, finally they turn a corner and the little boy goes, there, 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 there. And points to a church on the corner and the policeman says, okay, and they stop and he goes, this is my church. This is my church. He opens the door and he says, I always know how to get home from here. The gospel of grace is that God comes to you this morning and says, let me take you home. I always know how to get home from here. We meet here because God can always bring us home from here. My sense is that uh, some of you are prodigal children. You need to be reminded that you are saved by grace and you don't have to keep feeling guilty You don't have to keep pretending. 
you can ask again for that that reminder that you are grace-filled people. Some of us, over the years, have become older brothers and older sisters. Both need grace, but the older brothers and sisters need to be reminded that they have to share that grace to keep experiencing it, to share it with somebody else because unshared grace rots and just becomes religion. What I would like to do is to ask you to close your eyes and, and pray with me, prodigals and older brothers. And, uh, and I'll ask you just to raise your hand uh, when, when God is talking about you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I needed to be reminded again today that I don't have to pretend to be somebody that I'm not. That by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus, I am what I am. And your grace has not been without effect. I pray for my fellow prodigal sisters and prodigal brothers here. Tired of pretending, needing to be reminded of grace. Asking that you would fill their hearts with mercy and love and life and joy that would not be snatchable awayable. If that's you, if that's you with just between you and God, if you would like the confirmation of that love for you, just raise your hand. Just let God know that you want that kind of grace. And receive it. Receive it as a gift that washes you clean and reminds you that you're his child. Some of us feel a need to share that grace. We have made church too much about believing or behaving. We need to share grace and not be older sisters and brothers. If you can think of someone that, uh, that you have judged or someone who should hear about this grace, if you're angry that church is not churchier, Why don't you just turn to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. Help me know how to get home from here. If that's you, raise your hand. Some of us can raise our hand both times. And that's what's so amazing about grace. I remember, Lord Jesus, how, how John Newton, that slave trader who experienced amazing grace and turned pastor, how he said at the end of his life, I just know two things. I'm a great sinner, and I serve a greater Savior. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, give life. Amen.